After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in you. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. I am always amazed. Every week, the NHL and hockey provides us with unique game situations. We get rulings from player safety. We have a host of officiating topics every week. There is never a shortage of discussion points for Josh and me on the Scouting the Rest podcast. However, this past week, my friend, I believe the topics and rules covered is perhaps the most diverse that we have ever encountered in one edition of the podcast. We've had some doozies out there, but I think we've had some firsts this week that have have not happened either the way they played out or with the frequency in which it happened within a game. Some of them are just plain weird. <laughs> yes, and those can be the most interesting ones. And you get to <laughs> you get to really dig into the rule book and figure out was this the right call and how how is this play handled? To paraphrase the city of Austin, keep the NHL weird. I, th- I think it's maybe the way we want to look at this. But please make sure you are following us on our social channels. You get Josh at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and on Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram. On this week's episode, a slip of the stick gets you a game. A slip of the tongue from Kyle. Who cares if there's no net? Puck versus camera. And what do we have to do to get a good goal call? Are you intrigued yet? I I love that last one. And I don't even know that there there almost wasn't an answer that night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, that's true. Okay, let's begin, first of all, in the American Hockey League. And Manitoba moves forward. Evan Pole didn't care for a goalie interference call that was levied against him in a game against the Texas Stars. As he made his way to the penalty box... Swung his stick in frustration and struck linesman Carl Sasson. He was immediately ejected from the game, subsequently given a one-game suspension. This was not a wild swing-your-stick at an official because the penalty, of course, would have been much more severe. However, I am glad that the American Hockey League did toss him for one game, just for being careless, just for being reckless, and you cannot strike an official, period. Right. And and he was tossed from the game as well. But I think that's when you get the, the penalties for disputing a call from the official. And that, and that was his intent here from what it looked like. He wanted to smash his stick against the glass. He was arguing the call. He was frustrated. It was the backswing that caught the linesman. So fortunate he wasn't injured. I, you know, I'm glad even the inadvertent contact prompted a suspension. But you, you definitely have to come down hard whenever you've got sticks hitting officials, whether you intended to hit them or not. I, I think he was intending to show frustration. He was intending to maybe intimidate the official. I don't think he actually meant to make contact. No, no. So anyhow, suspension served and notice given. Let's go to the wacky list now. And it's it's pretty long this week. Maple Leafs and Sabres. Toronto Maple Leaf defenseman Mark Giordano finds himself in front of the net. The puck on his stick 
And even better for Giordano, Sabres forward Alex Tuck has crashed into his own goaltender, sending him sprawling. However, in doing so, the net is knocked off its moorings. Giordano takes the shot anyhow. Now, this was initially ruled no goal by the officials because the net was off. But upon further review, the puck did cross the line within the confines of where the net would have normally been situated. And so this counts as a good goal. Can you expand on this and give us a little more clarification as to why a net off the moorings and the puck goes across the line still counts as a good goal? Yeah, it's crazy when you can score a goal without it actually entering the goal. But as you mentioned, Todd, if the puck crosses between where the goalposts would have been and, and would have been a legal goal, they can award a goal on the play. Now, the specifics of Rule 63-7 have changed a little bit over the past years. Currently, they call it an imminent scoring opportunity prior to the goalpost being displaced. And that applies here, certainly, where you've got a guy crashing the net, you've got a shot coming in. The previous rule used to require that the player either had shot the puck or was in the act of shooting the puck. So I think that the NHL looked to broaden that up a little bit with this imminent scoring language. I don't think it would have mattered either way. The puck's moving towards the net, the net's off, and it goes where it would have gone in legally. You don't want to penalize the attacking team because the defending player knocked the net off. You know, we'd, we'd be looking at a penalty there for delay of game for knocking the net off the moorings there, certainly. But I think when you've got that scoring chance, the whole point of Rule 63-7 is to protect that scoring opportunity. So instead of just ending up with a power play, you end up with the goal. That's what happened here. It was a bit unusual. Uh, Giordano called it out right away. You can see him on the ice gesturing with the goal signal pointing down. And ultimately, the NHL took a second look and got it right. I, first of all, am very happy to hear, and Mark Giordano talked about this after the game, that he knew the rule, and that's why he took the shot. It's like, this should count as a good goal. So I'm I'm impressed with that. I am equally impressed with the phrase, imminent scoring opportunity, and I believe that this could be a new analytic statistic. How many times you capitalize on imminent scoring opportunities? Oh, that's that's a good one. I know the analytics field is always looking for those <laughs> categorizations, and obviously it does play into a rule decision on whether a goal would count or not, whether there was an imminent scoring opportunity. So interesting to to think of how they're going to consider that. And if Todd will ever have a spot where the referees have to make that determination, well, how imminent was that scoring opportunity? Giordano, one for one on ISOs. There you are. It's got a nice <laughs> ring to it. It's got a nice flow. All right. Perfect. Uh, next up is not an official ruling, but it is Part of the hazards of working on the ice as you wear the stripes, the personal equivalent at home might be striking your thumb with a hammer. But linesman Kyle Murchison skating backwards, trying to avoid the hard dump in by Chicago Blackhawks forward Mackenzie Entwistle in a recent game against the Bruins. Now, despite Murchison's best efforts, he could not avoid the inevitable collision with the puck that came ripping towards him and the microphones that are positioned rinkside picked up a lot of the sounds of the game coming from Kyle <laughs> Murchison in, in this particular case. If you if you want to see the video, go to the scoutingtherefs.com website. Josh has put it up there. But I, it's it's a wonder that they aren't hit more frequently. Oh, it's, it's so hard sometimes to get out of the way. You're doing everything you can and you're at the mercy of that defender or whoever it is who's dumping the puck in to shoot around you. You know, you want to give up typically a lane for them if they're skating. You want to give a lane for them to shoot the puck in. 
no matter what you do, no matter how you try to shield yourself, every once in a while, they just plunk you with the puck. And it's something you try to avoid. You really need to hope that they're not aiming for you or that their 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 <laughs> accuracy is is such that they are able to not hit you. But from time to time, it, it happens. You just hope you avoid injury for it. Merchantson obviously stayed in the game, but oh, I, based on his reaction, it, it didn't feel good. No, and I. This is not just you know some run of the mill podcast either. There, I did a lot of research into this, and I want to say it has been proven in several studies that cursing, swearing, whatever you want to call it, in the traditional manner, has proven to be effective to help better tolerate pain. So that little blurb is strictly pain management. There's nothing wrong with it. Oh well, then yeah, we'll we'll justify that, and we will say that. This is Murchison providing an on-ice officials demonstration of proper pain <laughs> management techniques. I love that. I love that. Okay, next up, Vancouver and Las Vegas. We're all familiar with the puck that happens to ride up the glass. It touches the protective netting, and when it does, the play is supposed to be blown dead. That's how the rule works now. What is far less frequent is a puck striking a camera from a photographer, sticking through a hole in the glass and landing on the stick of a player winding up in the back of the net. But that's what happened with Mark Stone of the Vegas Golden Knights. The puck went in and Vancouver coach Bruce Boudreau was, was appalled and then thought, no, wait a minute, I can challenge this. And he did. And he was successful, which I think surprised a lot of people, Josh. Yeah, he was. This was typically one of those plays that just would have happened without consequence. You know, the puck hits the stanchion, the puck hits the photographer's hole, the puck hits something like that. Takes a funny bounce in play, but before the coach's challenge for the missed stoppage, there was really nothing you could do. In this case, Boudreaux was sharp and caught that it hit the camera. I mean, we we saw it didn't just hit the hole. It, it actually hit the camera because we had a piece of the lens hood out on the ice there. And that is considered out of bounds per Rule 85-1. If we're looking at any obstacles above the playing surface other than the boards or glass, then the puck is out of play and that should result in a whistle. It didn't. And Boudreaux intelligently caught that piece is kudos to him and his video team because I, I don't recall us having a challenge for a missed stoppage for this particular play in the past and it was right on absolutely right and saved his team that goal i was wondering if this had happened previously i didn't know if you had thought of a circumstance but i cannot recall this this happening previously and it also makes me wonder about those holes that are cut through the glass usually in the corner of the buildings you can stick the camera through it so you don't get the the plexiglass in front of the camera lens so it gives you a nice clear photograph and i understand that but these things they're a hazard i have seen players and others get injured because of these holes and i'm a little bit surprised this is a bit off tangent but i'm a little bit surprised that the nhlpa has still allowed them to exist yeah, it, it is a bit of a hazard there. I guess the the almighty dollar rules, whether it's the photos that are being taken to help market and promote the game. But man, you've got an actual hole in the glass. You have barriers in there when the photographers aren't using them that you can put back in. So it does close up the hole when it's not in use. But when it's being used, it's a gap. We've seen photographers get injured. We've seen pucks go through there and actually hit the lens. A photographer that I know actually took a puck in the face through that. Ouch. And having been down there and shot from those holes myself during games, it's it's scary. You're trying to keep up with things. Sticks are going through. I know an official has had their fingers caught in the hole and broken a couple fingers in there. So a scary hazard that they've introduced. I shouldn't say introduced. It's been there forever. But something that we have on the ice that really 
I guess, Todd, you know, you, you bring up a great point. This is something that has caused injury that can cause problems and obviously caused a goal to get wiped out. Is this really, uh, is it worth it for the pictures they're getting? And I, I guess right yeah. now the, the NHL and Getty Images says yes. So you, you've done that? You've been down there <laughs> in shot? Uh, that's That must be quite the experience. It, it is something, especially when you're shooting, you know, you're one end of the rink, you're the other end of the rink, you're trying to switch uh, cameras. You typically have two cameras, one with a short lens so you can get the, the nearby action. But you also don't want to stick your lens through. You want to keep it like parallel with the glass because now you're in an obstacle like we saw against, <laughs> we saw in the Canucks game there that, you know, you've, you've got the puck striking it if it's sticking out at all. So it's, a, it's definitely a, a nerve wracking position to be in. It's exciting. It's a lot of fun. You can get some cool shots, but you are part of the game sometimes and uh, for good Good or bad, uh, it's a hole in the glass. <laughs> there are going to be times a puck or a stick goes through it. <laughs> I'm there. I'm. I'm just going to stop, and I'm just going to say that there. You know, there's probably a joke you could make about sticking it in a little bit, but I don't. I don't. I, I think I'll just stop right there and move on to uh, to the next game. So, if, and I, I want to talk about the game <laughs> between the Maple Leafs and the New Jersey Devils. Devils fans, of course, are a upset because of what occurred in the game and because their remarkable 13-game winning streak came to an end that night. Congratulations. It's, it was a great streak and it was wonderful to see and watch. But I don't, again, recall ever seeing three goals disallowed in one game. The first goal that was disallowed, Lindy Ruff challenged and was unsuccessful and was given a penalty. He did not challenge on the second questionable call. And I wonder if that may have been because of the rule not many people are aware of. If you have a second unsuccessful challenge, the penalty is more severe than just a two-minute minor. Yes, it's one of those things that changed when the league modified the coach's challenge rule. It used to be that you forfeited a timeout. Then they went to a minor penalty, and each subsequent failed challenge is a double minor penalty. We've seen it happen a few times where teams have been issued the double minor. You know, you've, you've got to be really confident that it's going to be overturned if you want to issue that because the the risk is pretty high to be shorthanded for four minutes. And I think. It was it was hard for the Devils because you have two situations with both those first two goals that were wiped out that were goaltender interference. The first challenge was a goaltender interference call that was waved off on the ice and the Devils challenged to try to get it reversed that there was no goaltender interference on the play. So the rare offensive challenge where you're trying to get the goal reinstated. But I think once you're burned once on the goaltender interference, I, I don't think you want to gamble on two goaltender interference calls. And and I, I think he was smart not to challenge. I think this was incidental contact outside the crease, something where it doesn't deserve a penalty, but it does justify a goal getting waved off that happened shortly thereafter. I, I don't want to call it an imminent scoring chance because that's not in the language <laughs> for this rule, but it's absolutely what it was. So that, that incidental contact outside the crease was enough to justify uh, getting that, that goal wiped out. There was some confusion as well when the second challenge came. Some still think that there is a limit of only one challenge because it's tied to the timeout situation. That is not the case. As Josh mentioned, you can challenge a, a second or in a third time, but if you are unsuccessful, the penalties are are more severe. And we forget sometimes, too, that there isn't necessarily a penalty called if there is contact. You said incidental contact. It just means that the play is wiped out and there is no penalty we play on. There was interference, but not enough to warrant an offense being issued for a penalty. Right. And that's what we usually see with, with guys jockeying for position in the crease when you're looking for 
a loose puck or you're battling for something there, you can have contact that deserves a penalty. You can have contact if there is a rebound or a loose puck where the attacking player is justified to make a certain amount of contact with the goaltender because they both have a right to battle for that puck. And then you have other situations where that that incidental contact is enough to lose a goal. Uh, it's really up to the officials to figure out what's going on, what happened in this situation, what was the level of the contact, what was the nature. And that's what makes goaltender interference so hard because there are just so many variables that go in that you need to take into consideration each time. Yes, variables. You have to look at all the situation circumstances. And again, it's still a judgment call. The, the third goal that was disallowed, this is the one that, you know, of course, got everyone all riled up and then started chucking things, which is terrible. And I hope they catch people that were were guilty of that and, and ban them. But it was a, it was a puck that was kicked in and it was absolutely a kicking motion. But again, some confusion with the rule in that it deflected after it was kicked. That does not make it okay. It is still a kick to get the puck into the net. That's correct. It does depend, though, what it deflected off of. If it goes off another player's body or skate or anything like that, you're looking at no goal. If it goes off a Leafs stick in that circumstance, then it would actually be a good goal. So what it deflected off of was the key issue here. It went off a Leafs skate, it went into the net, and the goal gets waved off. And I know some fans were also frustrated that he wasn't trying to kick it into the goal. Doesn't matter. The rule doesn't have any consideration for the direction he kicks or making an assessment if he was trying to kick it into the net. When there's a distinct kicking motion, if the puck deflects in off an opposing player's skate, it's no goal. So it didn't matter which way he was kicking it. All that mattered was that there was a distinct kicking motion, which clearly there was on the play. So a, a tough one for the Devils, man, with those three goals, and a, a tough one for Hollow there, who was trying to kick it clearly across the crease so his teammate could tap it in for the easy goal, would have clearly counted if that happened. So the Leafs inadvertently did the right thing there to keep that goal from staying. <laughs> Deflected in your <laughs> yes. own net and it won't hey. count, which which seems like a weird strategy. You better know the rule book for that. Maybe Giordano <laughs> was tipping off his teammates. Obviously, yeah. he's a student of the book. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, one more that I want to talk about. Uh, this because we've seen it a few times, or at least I have this year and in the last year or so, is interference penalties. This one with the Colorado Avalanche and a game against the Vancouver Canucks. Kale McCarr gets the interference call. Vancouver's Dakota Johnson is skating backwards and bumps into him as McCarr is stopped along the blue line. He's trying to stay onside. His teammate JT Comfer is also there. It's an interesting discussion as to what constitutes running a pick or causing interference and when you have to have a defender skate around you, it, it's just a weird set of circumstances. McCarr said afterwards that he was deemed to have stuck his ass out, and that's why he got the interference call. I didn't see it that way, but I've seen calls like this a few times, and sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Again, I guess it's an interpretation. Yeah, it's a hard one. This this one was really rough to look back at and, and try to break it down and see because I didn't see him necessarily doing that. Like you mentioned, you had both players skating backwards there. And, and I think McCarr is skating into his teammate. He's got JT Comfer right in front of him. I'm not even sure that he saw Dakota Joshua coming up behind him. So it didn't look to me like he did anything intentional there. It looked like he was trying not to skate into his teammate He's entitled to the space he's taking up on the ice. He doesn't have to get out of the way for an attacking player. It happened that the opposing player took a path that was taking him right into Makar. So 
I hate to use the word incidental contact again, but that's where I think we are here. <laughs> I was because just going to do that. <laughs> it's it's incidental. This is this is two guys running into each other, and I know sometimes accidentally on purpose is a thing, and we have guys who kind of make themselves obstacles. But if you're stationary, if you're almost stationary, if you're not changing your path, you're entitled to the space on the ice that you're taking up. And kudos to the Avs broadcast team. They they nailed it. They were talking about the play, and they, they said the same thing, citing the rule book that McCarr's entitled to his space on the ice. He didn't change direction. If he steps to the side, if he moves his body, that's a different story. But he doesn't seem to make any changes there. So it, it looked like an inadvertent, just incidental contact play where two guys ran into each other. Now, I, I will say, Todd, interference is the longest rule in the rule book. Rule 56, it's right up there with goaltender interference. The two clocking in at over two and a half pages. So there's plenty of permutations and different things to consider, whether it's possession or body position. But what it boils down to is sometimes guys run into each other and sometimes it happens on purpose. And it's really up to the officials to to make that call, keeping in mind there's no opportunity to review this. So this is based on what they saw real time, based on their angle on the ice. And, and you've got to live with the call. So it's, a, it's one to me that I, I think if you had a review for this one, they might see it differently. I don't want to speak for the officials. Who knows? Maybe there was something else that they were looking for there, but looked like it was incidental to me. And uh, I, I think one of those situations where, boy, the fact that a game-winning power play goal was scored moments after just compounds the call. It's funny how a game-winning goal will shift the interpretation <laughs> of a situation, yes. isn't it? Absolutely. You, you put the weight on it. And I think that's why you know, the NHL has been cautious and, and fans have talked about it in the past of, do we have teams serve the whole two minutes for the power play? Do, do they not get the guy out of the box when a goal is scored? Because it makes power plays more significant. It makes each penalty call more significant. And and I don't know that we want to, that the league is comfortable going there to put extra weight on it. You look at moments like this where that one penalty call gets magnified because of the game-winning goal situation. And, you know, we saw years back when a major penalty in a playoff game resulted in a whole bunch of goals being scored and how much criticism went around that call. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see the outcome of what happens from a controversial call. If they kill this one off, maybe we don't even worry about it afterwards. If the Avs win the game, maybe McCarr doesn't even bring it up in his post game. But it's it's those critical plays, and it's, it's tough. You, you never know which penalty call is, is the critical one, and that's why it's up to the officials to call it fair, call it even, call it how you see it on the ice. And that's the game we're left with, right? Call it on the ice. Sometimes we live with mistakes, and, and this would be one of them. Good, my book. Good stuff, man. Way to work. Yeah, we're good, man. Too long. Let's go sit for a couple. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Okay. That's nicely done. That's good work.